in a time of instant gratification, don't we? We prefer microwaves over crock pots, right? We prefer ramen noodles over pot roast, right? We prefer the lottery over weekly incremental savings. We take our credit cards and we swipe them for things that we will not die without, but that we feel in that moment we must have. And so we instantly gratify ourselves. In our relationships, we avoid confrontation of sin, even though it is better for the other person because it is uncomfortable for us. We may date someone that we know is not the most, uh, most qualified because they are, in fact, the most available. And we need to be instantly gratified. But what we find in the era of instant gratification is we find that though in the instant we might be a bit gratified, though in the moment it might feel right and it might feel good and it might feel proper, that the feeling goes away as quickly as it comes. That our satisfaction ends as instantly as our gratification comes. And so this morning, we have the Lord Jesus coming and he is going to call his disciples away from a life of instant gratification and call his disciples into a life of delayed glory. And in fact, that is what he is calling each of us to. Jesus this morning is calling each one of us to deny ourselves a life of instant gratification in this world, on this earth, that we might live in delayed glory with an unfading eternal crown with him. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. At this point in the book of Matthew, Jesus is barreling in on the cross And as Jesus barrels in on the cross, he begins to open up the eyes of his disciples that they might see clearly, that they might understand properly the call that he has placed on their lives and to the end to which he is asking them to live and move for the rest of their lives, whatever that may be. So if you have your Bible, stand with me as we prepare to read God's word together. Beginning in verse 24, we're going to read through verse 28. God's inerrant word says, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. May God bless the reading and the preaching of his inerrant word this morning. You may be seated. In our text this morning, Jesus is teaching us the nature of what it means to be a disciple. This is why he says, if, you, if anyone would come after me. And what's interesting here is he's talking just to his 12 disciples, and yet he uses the word anyone. He leaves it open-ended. 
If anyone wants to be my disciple, in other words, anyone can be my disciple if this is what they're willing for their life to look like. If anyone would be my disciple, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. If anybody wants to go where I'm going, wants to have what I'm going to have, wants to be a part of what it is that I am building, this is what their life will look like. And here Jesus does what we often see Jesus do. Jesus does not present the gospel the way that we're accustomed to hearing it. We're accustomed to hearing the gospel presented almost like a vacuum salesman presents a vacuum. Look at these features. Look at what all we can offer you. Look at how much better and easier and happier this can make your life. So sign on the dotted line. And if you'll just sign on the dotted line, all of this will be yours with little or no commitment from you. Jesus doesn't present the gospel that way. When Jesus presents the gospel, when Jesus presents what it means to come after him, to follow him, Jesus says, count the costs. Count the costs. Be sure that you understand where it is that you're following me to if you're going to come after me. Make sure that you wrap your mind around the costs that are a part of this journey if you're going to embrace my free gift of eternal life. Because eternal life is going to cost you everything in the temporary. Eternal life is going to require of you to be okay without having instant gratification. In fact, it is going to call you to the very cross itself. See, Jesus has been teaching his disciples about the nature of his mission. Last week we saw that Jesus in verse 21 said that from this day forward he began to teach them that he had to suffer. And that he was to be murdered at the hands of evil men. And having been murdered, that he would be raised in resurrected glory. That the road that the Lord Jesus was to walk was going to be a difficult one. That the path that Jesus was to take was to be a difficult one. And remember, Peter rebukes him. He says, it must not be God forbid it. God forbid that my Lord shall suffer. God forbid that your your path must include a cross. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. I will not take a crown without the cross. I will not abandon my Father's will, his gut-wrenching will for an easier path or an easier plan. This week, you know what we see? Jesus taking it a step further. Having told Peter that he, in fact, will not abandon the Lord's will. Having told Peter that he, in fact, will not avoid the path that leads to the cross. He looks to Peter and he says, if you are going to come after me, if you are going to really be my disciple, you will not abandon it either. You will not trade in a road of affliction and suffering and a cross For a road of convenience, ease, and a crown. Because that crown is shallow and superficial. It is cheap and it is fading quickly. Jesus is looking to his disciples. And he is telling them that if they are to come after him, theirs will be a life of difficulty. Theirs will be a life of trial. It brings it, he uses that phrase, follow me. And if you've read the book of Matthew, you know that way back in Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus began to call his disciples, he looked to them and he said what? Follow me. 
and I will make you fishers of men. And they stopped what they were doing and they began to go after the Christ, after the Lord Jesus. Jesus seems to be bringing that moment back into their recollection and saying, are you serious? Are you serious about coming after me? Are you serious about following me? Are you serious about becoming fishers of men? Are you serious about being a part of the building of my king, of the kingdom, of the inauguration, of the messianic age and the new covenant? Are you serious? Is this really what you want? Because if this is what you want, it's going to be costly. This is where you want to go. This is what you want to be a part of. It's going to be costly. And the cost is going to be steep. This morning, brothers and sisters, friends and neighbors, the Lord Jesus is looking back at us and he is asking us the very same question. Are you serious? Are you serious about following the Lord Jesus? Are you serious about living in the resurrection hope that he offers to you? Are you serious about taking hold of the salvation, of being washed clean of your sins? Are you serious about having Jesus as the blazing center of your life? Are you serious that Jesus is that of greatest value in all of the cosmos? Are you serious? Because if you're serious, it's going to cost you. If you're serious, the path that you are embracing, at least in the fleeting, at least here on earth, is not a path of ease and convenience, but a, convenience, but a path of affliction and trouble and difficulty. Count the costs. Count the costs. Are you serious? To de describe the self-denial that he's calling his disciples to, Jesus says to take up his cross. Take up your cross. Each one must take up their own cross. He's not talking about his own cross. He's talking about their individual crosses. And so he's teaching them that the life of discipleship is at its very core, in, in its very essence, a life of self-denial. You know, in our day, when we hear the word cross, we're accustomed to it. We're used to it. We're desensitized to it. We wear crosses around our necks. People get them tattooed on their calves. We have them as decorative ornamental pieces around our houses. I mean, and that's well and good. But we're so accustomed to it that we don't understand the gravity of what Christ is saying to his disciples that day. You see, in that day, in Jesus' day, the cross didn't look like any of that kind of thing. The cross was a place of pain and agony and public shame. For a person to die on the cross was to die an uncivilized death, to bring disrepute and shame, not just on themselves, but on the entirety of their family. It was known to cause more pain than was humanly bearable until ultimately you were asphyxiated on the cross. The pain was so unbearable that the Romans invented a word to describe the pain that one was to experience on the cross. They invented the word excruciating, which in the Latin literally means of the cross. So let me tell you, on that day, when Jesus is looking at the twelve and he's telling them that if anyone wants to go after him, if anyone wants to be a part of his kingdom, if anyone wants to be his disciple, they have to take up their own cross, you could have heard a pin drop. 
There would have been silence in the room as the weight of those comments arrested each single person. Because you see, Jesus isn't speaking metaphorically here. Jesus isn't speaking about a metaphorical cross that way we like to think of. Well, he's really just saying that they got to just be ready for anything. That's not it. Jesus is saying, you will bear affliction. You will die a martyr's death. You will live a difficult and trying life. Yours will not be a life of convenience. Yours will be a life of misery and agony at times. In fact, we know from church history that three of the disciples at least were crucified, including Peter and his wife being crucified side by side, upside down. Brothers and sisters, you cannot come to Jesus and avoid the cross. You cannot follow Christ and not follow him to the cross. You cannot go where Jesus is going and not end up at the cross. You see, at the center of the Christian life is a willingness to die. Not metaphorically, literally. A willingness to lay down your life for the kingdom of God, for the purposes of Christ, to his glory and honor. Because you see that Jesus is better than life. That Jesus is better than life. And so living beneath the umbrella of a willingness to die sets the trajectory of the Christian life. That if I am willing to literally lay down my life and die for him, that I am certainly willing to deny myself some momentary conveniences so that I might live for him. So if there's a boyfriend that's going to get between me and the Lord... Jesus is better than my boyfriend. If my ambitions and my dreams distract me from the call of Christ, Jesus is better than my ambitions and my dreams. If following after Jesus costs me a comfortable and long retirement and plenty of vacations, that Jesus is better than retirement and vacations and nest eggs. That if Following after Jesus means that I can't uh, advance in my career track. Jesus is better than my career. And yes, if the day comes in which following after Jesus costs me my life, I will not buckle. I will not back down. I have resolved to identify with the Lord Jesus in his cross. And so I lay my life down that I might bring him glory. Jesus is looking at every single one of his disciples on this day and he is saying, am I worth dying for? Am I worth your inconvenience? Am I worth your affliction? Am I worth your momentary and fleeting difficulty in this life? Am I worth the hatred that is to come? And am I worth the difficulty in the days ahead? Am I worth it? Brothers and sisters, I ask you the same question. Have you resolved in your life that Jesus is better than life? Have you resolved that Jesus is in fact worth all of your life now, all of your life forever? How have you resolved that? And how can you know? Is your life in the shape of the cross? Is your life in the shape of the cross? Is your life defined by self-indulgence and self-pleasure? Or is your life defined by gospel-centered, God-glorifying self-denial? 
If the essence of New Testament Christianity is a life of self-denial, then what are you denying yourself for the glory of Jesus? What are you denying yourself so that the kingdom of God might advance? What are you denying yourself so that the world might look at your life and say, He, His God is different than the gods of the world. Now maybe you're listening this morning and you're thinking, man, that's a high cost. That's a high cost. That seems a little overly intense for the Easter sermon preacher. That seems a little bit edgy, man. Because this is all I've got. All I've got is this few dollars. All I've got is this little life that I have. All I have is whatever amount of years that I have. And I don't even have control over that. So you're telling me that I've got to give up all of that? Seems a little bit intense. Seems a little bit over the top. That's not the kind of Christianity I'm accustomed to. That's not the kind of Christianity that I'm looking for. Jesus seems to anticipate our arguments. Jesus, who knows the human mind better than anyone who has ever walked on this earth, seems to anticipate that that is going to be the response from those who are confronted with a call to discipleship, with those who are confronted with the call to go after him. And so Jesus begins to present to us the alternative to this life of self-denial, the alternative to a cross-shaped life. And he says that the opposite, the alternative to a Christ-centered life is a self-centered one. That the, the, the opposite, the, the alternative to a life of self-denial is, in, is, the, is a life of pleasure-seeking. It is a life of self-preservation. Listen to what he says in verses 25 and 26. He says, for whoever would save his life will lose it. In other words, whoever will live for self-preservation, whoever will preserve their own life, will in fact lose it. But whoever loses his life, whoever denies themselves self-preservation, for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? What will it profit a man if he gains all the vacations he could ever want? What will it profit a man if he gains all of the retirement income that he could ever dream of? What will it profit a man if he has a yacht? What will it profit a man if he has a beach condo? What will it profit a man if he has everything in his garage, in his house, that he could ever dream of if he loses his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? So he says the, the opposite of this is to live a life of self-preservation, to, to make decisions based on what's in your best interest. This is what Peter was doing last week. When Peter looks to Jesus and he says, God forbid it. You don't go to the cross, you go to the throne. You don't get endure the pain, you get the crown. This is what was in Peter's best interest. And what does Jesus tell him? Your mind is on the things of man not on the things of God. Your concern is about your own well-being. Your concern is about your own comfort. Your concern is about your own ambition and your own dreams, not the will of God, not the glory of God, not the plan of God. And so how do we make decisions? 
The kind of person that Jesus is talking about here, a self-preserving person, is the kind of person that wants to be a Christian when it is a benefit to them. When it will raise their standing in someone's eyes, then they are a committed Christian. When it will help them uh, with a business deal, then they are a committed Christian. When it will will make their family feel better about them, then they are a Christian. But then on the other side, when, when it gets in the way of how much money they can make and how much money they can spend and how much money they can have, then maybe not so committed. Because that's not what's in their best interest. When we talk about being committed in the life of the church and committed to the Christian life, maybe not so much then because i got other things I've got to do and I've only got a few years here on earth. I've only got a, a few fleeting moments. When it will cause other people to jeer them or to not invite them to be a part of social gatherings and to not do things that other people in the office have the opportunity to do or the other people at school have the opportunity to do, then strangely their Christian voice goes silent. Because it doesn't benefit them in that moment. They're living lives of self-preservation. They're living their lives with their mind focused on the things of man, not on the things of God. They're living their lives as pleasure seekers. Moving from one urge to the next, trying to satisfy one appetite and then another appetite. But brothers and sisters, what I want you to hear me say is that pleasure seeking is a soul crushing form of slavery. Pleasure-seeking is a soul-crushing form of slavery. Because you are enslaved to your own appetites. You do whatever feels good in the moment, and at the end of your life, you look back, and you have no idea what you even believe, no idea what you even stand for, no idea what purpose your life even served. You are just a junkie moving from one fix of pleasure to the next, hoping to shoot up on something else that's going to make you feel good in the moment. Maybe it's swiping your credit card or it's going on vacation or it's being liked by the people around you. But you have to have pleasure and in fact, you have been enslaved to it. That's why Jesus is calling you to lay down your life. Laying down your life, as ironic and paradoxical as it sounds, is the way to freedom. To lay down your life is the path to freedom. It is the journey to freedom. It is the doorway, the threshold to freedom. When you lay down your life for the Christ, you don't care about the car that you have. It doesn't matter what other people think about your car. It doesn't matter what other people think about your house. It doesn't matter what other people think about your clothes. It doesn't matter what other people think about your lifestyle. It doesn't matter because you have laid down your life anyway. When you've laid down your life, it does not matter to you if your career isn't advancing as you had hoped. It does not matter if your own ambitions are going unrealized, your own dreams being unfulfilled. You've laid down your life to the Lord. You've laid down your life on the cross. You've died to yourself, died to your ambitions, died to your dreams for the glory of the Lord. There is freedom in laying down your life because when you lay down your life, you in fact lay your life in the hands of Almighty God and His hands are mightier and more merciful and kinder than your plans and dreams can even behold. Don't buy the world that freedom is the opportunity to do whatever you want to do. 
Does that really satisfy you? Does that really satisfy you? Does it satisfy you to make decisions with no purpose? Does it satisfy you to to do what feels right in the moment, even though you have no reason to back that up? Don't be enslaved. Lay down your life. You know, I heard a song recently by Tim McGraw. See, I'm a man of culture. I got country music down. It says, live like you were dying. And it tells the story of a man who finds out that his prognosis is not good. And so he says, I go skydiving. I go Rocky Mountain climbing. I, I love deeper than I've ever loved. I've been a, I'm a better husband than I've ever been. I'm kinder. I'm a better friend. I t- I'm more patient and slow to move and slow to act. And the idea in the song is, is that finally I have been set free to really live. Finally, I have been set free from all of the the anxieties and the burdens that I've been carrying. And for these last few fleeting days, I'm going to live it, man. Do you understand that what the Lord Jesus is offering you is far more glorious than that? That the freedom that he has given to you is not to live like you are dying, but in fact to live like you will live forever. That the here and now is irrelevant. That the here and now is going to dissipate like a mist in the wind. But forever, eternity, billions upon billions upon billions of years, you will be with him in glory. And you can deny yourself all of this because you will live with him forever. You don't need vacation now. You're going to glory. You don't need riches now. You will know forever the immeasurable riches and kindness of God. You don't need friendships with people that will look down their noses at you. You have been given friendship with God himself. You don't have to live like you're dying. Lay down your life and live like you're going to live forever. Live like your soul is genuinely secure in the hands of Almighty God. Brothers and sisters, friends, do not forfeit that which is eternal for that which is fleeting. As Jim Elliot, the missionary, famously said, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep for that which he cannot lose. Do not trade your soul for a box of baseball cards. The greatest fear of my life is that I will come to the end of my life and realize that I've wasted it. Many of you know that even in this past year, I was confronted with my own mortality. And the greatest fear that I have is to be one day on my deathbed, surrounded by people that I've loved and that have loved me, and to realize that my life has amounted to a a little bit of retirement and some vacations. That I've done nothing of eternal consequence, nothing of lasting value, nothing to build that which will in fact endure forever. And the paradox of the Christian life says that the only way that you will not waste your life is if you forfeit it. Have you forfeited your life to Jesus? 
I'm not saying, have you been baptized? I'm not asking if you were raised in the church. I'm asking, have you forfeited your life for Christ? Have you laid down your life in self-denial and said, Jesus, whatever it takes, wherever you lead, you are better than anything else that I have found, and I bring you my life. I bring you my life. I turn away from all of the good things I've tried to do. I turn away from all of the living for myself and living for the moment. And I bring you my life. And I lay my life down. Take it, Lord Jesus. Take it. If that's never happened, you are not yet a disciple of Christ. But the Lord Jesus is saying, if anyone would come, if anyone would come, On this day, whether you are 20 or you are 80, it is not too late. Come to the Lord Jesus. Come to the Lord Jesus that your feet might be placed on the rock, that your life might finally not be wasted, that you might find the purpose that you have been searching for, and that is found in Christ Jesus and Jesus alone. When we come into verses 26 and or verses 27 and 28, Jesus is It's like he's anticipating that his disciples are saying, Jesus seems unfair. Seems unfair that you have given me this one life. You've given me these limited resources. And now you're asking me to give all of it up for you. Now you're asking me to hang. I've I've only been living for like 40 years and I've saved up but just a little bit. And you want me to give up just that little bit? I've only, got, I've only got a few years left here on earth, and you want me to give up those years? You want me to give up that time? This seems unfair. You know, we don't live in a world of fairness, do we? We don't live in a world of fairness, do we? We live in a world in which wicked people are prosperous and, and uh, good, honorable people suffer. I can tell you the stories about people in this church family that by the grace of God and to the best of their ability, they try to live an honorable life of integrity. They try to bring God glory with their lives. And in their lives, they have faced one hardship after the next hardship after the next hardship. One surgery after the next surgery after the next surgery. One death after the next death after the next death. One sickness after another after another. It's not fair. This is not a world of fairness. This is a world of brokenness. This is not a world of justice. This is a world of injustice. That's the same reason I can go and I can take you to people who are miserable human beings. Who are mean to every person they come across. Who are spiteful and greedy and vengeful. And they have everything that their heart could ever want. Because right now, in the here and now, There is no fairness to be found. In the here and now, there is no justice to be found. And so Jesus is hearing the concern of his disciples and the concern of injustice and the concern of unfairness. And listen to what he says. For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father. And then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Do you hear what he's saying? Here's what Jesus is saying. Right now, there is the day of injustice. Right now is the day of unfairness. When Jesus goes to the cross, it is the ultimate act of unfairness. It is the ultimate act of injustice. A righteous man being executed at the hands of unrighteous men. 
But brothers and sisters, at the resurrection, at the risen grave of our Savior, at that moment, our justice is assured. Fairness will be restored into this earth. That is the resurrection hope. That at the end of the age, when the Lord Jesus has returned, justice will be restored. And every person, man, woman, and child, will be repaid for what they have done. The question is, will you stand on the judgment day? Will you stand there on the, at the return of Christ, at the feet of the resurrected Christ in your own merit? If so, you will stand there only deserving to be repaid for the wickedness and the self-righteousness in your life. But that's not Jesus' main point here. Jesus' main point here is for his disciples. Those cross-bearing, self-denying disciples. That the day is going to come in which the misery will end. That the day is going to come in which the self-denial will end. The day is going to come in which the cross-bearing will end. The day is going to come in which they will receive their crown of unfading glory based not on their own merit, but on the merits of Christ Jesus himself, having risen from the dead. And it gets even better. Listen, you know what he says he's going to do? For all of those clothed in the righteousness of Jesus, Jesus is going to, for the rest of eternity, pay you back for every single momentary sacrifice, every single act of kindness, every single God-centered thought, every single God-centered action in your life. Jesus has got all of eternity to search them out and to repay you, not in proportion, but in disproportion, in gospel generosity for all of glory. See, you're not making sacrifices on earth, church. You're making investments here. You're making investments here. That anything you have to give up for the Lord Jesus will be returned to you forever. Forever. So we're talking about 80 years of sacrifice, 80 years of self-denial for 80 billion years times, 80 billion years times, 80 billion years of the immeasurable riches and kindness of Christ. So small is the call that Jesus has placed on us for difficulty. You know, we can sum up this entire text with one question. Will you live for now? Or will you live for forever? Will you live for now? Or will you live for eternity? Will you try to preserve your life now and lose it? Or will you give up your life right now and gain it? Will you pay the price of your soul? Or will you be, receive the price of the crown that was owed to the Lord Jesus given to you? Will you live for a few vacations and a little money in the bank? Will you live for career advancement and a comfortable life? Or will you live for glory? Will you live forever in the presence of the Lord? Not satisfied instantly. You will be. But satisfied eternally. Let's go to the Lord together in prayer. Heavenly Father, you are so much better than we could ever deserve. 
the plan of your son to come and to take our place that we might enjoy you and know you and be satisfied in you is breathtaking to us. So Lord, we come now and we bow down our lives to you. Do not let us waste them on ourselves. Do not let us waste them chasing after our urges and our appetites. Let us submit them to you that we might live with resurrection hope in light of resurrection promise of the life that is to come, of the justice that is to reign. Lord, I pray for those this morning that do not know you, those who have lived lives of self-preservation, that on this day they would bow before you and they would submit and they would say, God, whatever I have left in these days, they are all, it is all yours. Take my life that I might gain yours. We ask these things now in the name of the risen Christ, Jesus. Amen. This morning we're going to have pastors lined across the front. If you've never truly denied yourself and begin to follow after Jesus, please come and talk to a pastor. We love you. It matters to us what happens to you. We care about that. So if you've been a part of this church for 50 years or if this is your first day in the door, don't let any of that